Welcome to The Window. I'm Dr. Joanna Williams, and I'm thrilled to be in studio with my co-host, Dr. Iris Cooper. How are you today? I'm good, and, and I've missed you. I've been on the road a bit. I've been calling in, but it's good to be back home. I'm a bit travel weary. The summer is halfway over. I know it. I know it. And I've been thinking about a lot of stuff this summer. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. I try to, as we should all do, we should all try to take some vacation time and get away from it all. But it all encompasses so much that that's not possible to do. So as always on this Saturday, we just start out by what it is we've reflected on through the window. And I noticed today is the anniversary of the of the loss of, of course, one of our civil rights icons in, in recent history, and that's John Lewis. And so you would hope that part of his ongoing eulogy would be that everything he fought for is now uh, a truism in our lives. And John Lewis was the creator of Good Trouble. And then as we look out the window, we see that our own Joyce Beatty was creating some good trouble. Yeah, so so we we are in trouble as a as, as a as a race and as a society. This is not just a black and white issue when we talk about what John Lewis stood for, and in particular, um, Dr. I, what you're referring to as it relates to the the head of the Congressional Black Caucus and also an, a native of our of our own Central Ohio. We're talking about voting rights uh, again. John Lewis nearly risked his life. John Lewis is known primarily for everything he did just for the basic right to vote. And now we see across the country that in subtle ways and in blatant ways, there's much happening to roll back the rights of all Americans who are, who are qualified to vote. And isn't it ironic, ironic that we have some citizens in the United States that don't want to talk about critical race theory and how black people got here and what they provided for the nation and fought for and and voting is back on the table and and we don't we had a guest on several weeks ago who talked about critical race theory we don't even have to get as deep as critical race theory which is actually a very high level um, academic theoretical construct as our guest told us that's that's really analyzed by legal scholars and doctoral scholars who look at our country through the lens of the extent to which oppression of other races has shaped our society but at the the kindergarten through 12 levels that's being used as a dog whistle for just the basic premise that they don't want to teach black history in general right not just critical race theory but black history in general and of course black history is american history and you can't talk about american history and america being democracy without talking about the right to vote as being fundamental but then again if your candidate lost and you're trying to convince the world that your candidate didn't really lose and that, and by that some, lies are true things right and that by some miracle your candidate's going to be resurrected in august if you try that then of course you'll try to disenfranchise the folks who were instrumental in voting against your candidate and that's really what this is all about how can we prevent 
people from voting by passing laws that are so stringent and so unneeded that it keeps uh, power in the hands of those who perceive themselves to be powerful. And you know what I was thinking about voting? As a little girl, when it was the day for voting in my house, my parents got dressed up. That was a big day, almost like a holiday to go and vote. And here we are, fast forward 50 years later, and still talking about the right to vote and the role that African Americans played in making this country the home of the free and the brave. Right, and, and the laws that are being passed now and proposed now are so subtle that observers who haven't really taken the time to understand say, what's the big deal? So you talked about your parents getting dressed up on the day of voting. There have been laws passed and movements since then to expand voting to more than just one day, which makes sense since folks have to work, for example, on that one day. And so if you begin to restrict the days and the hours that people can vote, that disproportionately impacts people who can't necessarily take off work, who can't necessarily get transportation on a specific day, who in this past year may have been reluctant to come out live to a voting booth and instead chose to vote by mail. And guess what? Those tend to be disproportionately people of color. And so please stay woke. People of color, and and not just people of color, people in general came out in record numbers this year to express their will, which is supposed to be the foundation of a democracy. And so even though election day is over, don't take your eyes off the ball. So congratulations to, to in Texas, the, the Democrats in the state legislature who disappeared from the state rather than stay around to vote for laws that they knew were gonna roll back voting rights and they, they, they went to DC. Kudos to Joyce Beatty, who, if my understanding is correct, she and a handful of other people were demonstrating in the same area where you had terrorists who tried to stage a coup of our country, and they weren't arrested that day, and yet I saw a picture of, of Representative Joyce Beatty in handcuffs, and that just struck me as being ridiculous. Ridiculous, stupid, evil. Um, however, it's a call to action, folks. You said stay woke. Let's pay attention to everything that happens from now until, let's say, the next election because there are so many uh, both open and clandestine methods to confusing people about important issues. And as a former banker, I see that in instructions, I see that in deadlines, I see that any time that access is offered to a population that might have a different viewpoint or different priorities, they make it confusing. They make it difficult and they are the people that create the rules. Right, and and less people think it's just a black and white matter. Uh, Another thing that I've seen happen over the past year is that coalitions have formed among people who realize that the the they's that we keep referring to are folks who want power, need power, must have power to the exclusion of everyone else having power, which of course is not mm, presumably the premise on which this country was founded, although maybe it was so as you can tell we're in a bit of a mood today but that's our prerogative on the window as we reflect on what's going on in our lives and by the way as it relates to staying woke 
COVID is not over yet. Nope. We will talk about that with our guests next week. But last week, we talked on a number of issues relating to financial security. Mm-hmm. And we had guests on who talked about any number of investment strategies, but the real estate market was a topic we focused on last week in terms of if this is a good time to buy or sell real estate, what's going on with the market. And so in doing that, we assumed that our audience was or only knew of people who thought that to be relevant. Gee, what should I do with my home? But today we're going to go a bit to the other extreme to talk about people who are just wanting to have a roof over their head and be able to afford that basic human right, the, the dignity of being able to go home. So, Dr. I, would you like to? Yes, I am thrilled to have um, a young woman compared to me and my co-host here, who is an expert on housing and housing for impoverished people. Um, She is a vice president of resident initiatives with Columbus Metropolitan Housing Associates. And um, she has pretty much committed her career to community empowerment and so I am very very pleased to introduce to you Sonia Nelson vice president of resident initiatives for CMHA and um, Sonia welcome thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule Um, I was talking to Dr. Joe and I said Saturday's typically a catch-up day but we kind of like to start the window on Saturday with 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 making a claim to what we need to be thinking about this week and so welcome and introduce yourself um, as well as CMH to our radio audience thank you dr. Iris and thank you dr. Joe for having me here I'm so excited to be able to have this conversation with you guys um, I'm Sonia Nelson. Um, first, I am a mom. So I have two wonderful daughters that keep me going, um, Jasmine and Yamaya. And I'm also uh, my due to two grand dogs, Ellie and Teddy. They are, they're important. They count. I do. I have two little boys. <laughs> and um, I have been in um, multiple careers in in my life, mostly around accounting and and finance. And um, I I was 10 years at Nationwide where I decided, um, realized my purpose and um, which was in social work and made a career switch and started my own social enterprise called the Firm Development Group that helped people create um, life balance and um, define and obtain goals and then in doing that work I uh, partnered with a wonderful woman Bernita Gatewood in the ECDC Corporation I know Bernita yes Mm -hmm. and we worked out of the Poindexter Community um, building and that is where my relationship started with CMHA most start thought it started once I was employed there but it was actually once I um, started to work in that building and 
which was great from a foundational perspective to be in the um, one of the first housing authorities in um, housing communities in the country and to have that foundation and I met Charles our CEO because he would always come in and talk to Miss Gatewood and he had this most infectious laugh and I said what who is he and what does he do <laughs> yeah because I want to work where the people laugh like that mm-hmm. and so um that spirit is in CMHA so CMHA is a public housing authority um and most people know them as a housing authority but there's so much more and so not only do they manage the housing subsidy um, the voucher program for uh, Franklin County. They're also the nation's leading affordable housing innovators. We have an A-plus rating with the S&P. We have, we're one of the largest landlords in Columbus with over 30 multifamily communities with over 4,000 units of housing. We serve everyone. We serve families, seniors, veterans, youth aging out of foster care, single parents, and many other special populations, uh, um, up to, um, serving over 38,000 um, residents. Our mission is by helping people access affordable housing through collaborative partnerships to develop, renovate, and maintain housing, promote neighborhood revitalizations, and assist residents in assessing needed social services. Well, I'm a social worker's kid, and I recognize that ambiance at the very the very first time I walked into CMHA, and I, this is before the pandemic. And if you look to the right, you could look and see United Nations. You could hear different languages. You could see people interacting. You saw children sitting on the floor. You saw interaction. It was just like We Are the World, that song. And then I saw the people at the counter who were dealing with all this different diversity. They weren't getting rattled. They were dealing with every person standing in line for some help with where am I going to sleep. And from then on, CMHA rose to the top of my list in terms of integrity, purpose, mission. And yes, I am biased because I am a social worker's kid. And I know how important housing is to just your mental health and your physical health and how you are presented to your children, uh, how they grow up so um, can you relate to that feeling so Dr. Joe? Those clients you describe I'm wondering Sonia what is their life situation what has brought them to CMHA? The need for affordable housing and so the journey to where that need came from comes from all different all different reasons all different reasons so it could be from a, they could have been making six figures and had a change in income or a life change and now they're starting all over and they need support for for housing it could be a single mom 
It could be a veteran that has come home and served their country and the transition has been difficult and they need the house and they need housing. It could be a refugee immigrant individual that is making their way and to start a community with their family. So it's the journey is there, but the need for everyone is affordable housing. So can anyone come or are there certain qualifications that have to be met? So um, you, there are income requirements. Um, anybody can apply for housing through the Housing Authority, and it's done at their website, cmhanet.com. And you can also apply uh, at any of CMHA's housing communities for subsidy assistance. Um, the thing is, though, the reality is estimates show that we only serve about a third of who are eligible for um, for assistance because that's only what the funding allows, and so there's about two thirds that still are would be otherwise financially eligible, and to receive housing subsidy, but we don't have the funding to be able to cover it. Wow. What, what specifically are the financial eligibility thresholds? Generally, um, below 80% AMI. Okay. And so, and it depends, and that depends on your family, um, your family mix-up, um, family composition. Okay. So what about if you have like a single mom and two kids? Mm-hmm. What would my income have to be to be able to get a subsidy? It depends. So um, they would look at the whole mix of like, it's more than just the income. So they would look at your income, they would look at your assets, they would um, they would look at your whole makeup to make the determination. And the one thing about CMHA is it's not just subsidy. So we also have tax credit, we have housing options across the housing spectrum. So you can come in with zero income to be able to go to your rent and um, then you would be able to afford, be able to qualify for the subsidy, but there could be someone that has an appropriate income, but just not a housing wage. And then the, they can go into a low income housing tax credit property. And so, so there's a spectrum of housing options available from CMHA. So when you say there's not enough funding, where does the funding come from? Generally, it comes from from HUD for to, for the subsidy. HUD is housing housing and urban development. Okay, and that's the Natural. federal government. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. So so why is there not enough money then? That's a very good question, and I think it it's a very loaded answer. So. Um, well, you're, this is a safe haven right here. So. <laughs> it's being broadcast to uh-huh. hundreds of thousands yeah. of yeah, people. Yeah. Just a, just a couple just a couple yeah, yeah. thousand mm-hmm. listening. <laughs> um, it's it's systematic, and so um, there's multiple reasons on why things are funded appropriately and inappropriately. We would probably need more than the hour show today to discuss them them all. But I will say one of the things that I love about CMHA is that limitation of funding is not holding them back. They are so innovative that they're finding new ways. So we're going to need to take a quick break when we come back. We, we don't have hours, but we do have about 40 more minutes. And so we want to dive into this topic as best we can. So we'll take a quick break. 
We'll come back with Sonia Nelson from Columbus Metropolitan Housing Authority on the window. We are talking with Vice President of Resident Initiate, Issues, Initiatives, is that right, it would Initiatives, um, Sonia Nelson from Columbus Metropolitan Housing Authority, and we're talking about funding, and funding is a little word for a whole lot of issues. Um, just in reflection, when I was a banker, I was chair of multifamily housing for the state of Ohio. And um, I learned a lot. And I thought it was always about getting people that had limited housing choices into homes until I went to a committee meeting and saw who was at the table. And the most active members of that committee were developers. What am I talking about, Sonia? people that start these communities and Mm -hmm. go to the state for funding yeah what's that about it depends so it could be um they're passionate and they want to know what they can do to serve the community it could be because housing is a lucrative um business model Um, what is not so lucrative is affordable housing and that's why it's so hard to do Mm -hmm. and when you define affordable housing that's a broad range depending upon what goes into that that uh, format for that particular community Mm -hmm. there is a term called developers fees developers for those of you that are not familiar with any kind of housing project developers get to plug in a figure for to compensate them for doing the project Mm -hmm. and that goes across the board Um, and sometimes it's it's very lucrative and I don't knock developers for making a profit Absolutely. Housing, um, it's, work. it's a business. Mm-hmm. I think this is where other systems need to come involved. And when you look at addressing affordable housing, because it's a social need. And so you need additional supports to be able to provide decent, safe, and affordable housing. So you mentioned what is affordable. So in general, um, affordable is where an individual pays no more than 30% of their income towards housing. So a lot of people ask the question when you mention affordable and they say affordable to who? It's based off of that. So you break down the population, you see what's the average of income across the, the population. Is there housing that's affordable along that income spectrum? And so some incomes, some some jobs probably will never pay enough to be to provide a housing wage where you could earn enough to work and um, 
and pay for full market rate housing. That's where subsidies are important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What about self-employed people? What do they do? It's the same thing. Their income is still valuated in in the same in the same way. So they so they go through a calculation to determine what portion of their income is um, included in the calculations for uh, the housing subsidy. But it's very similar than if someone was employed. So I'd like to know more about the process that someone goes through when they come to your agency. But but before that, let's go back to those two thirds, I believe you said of the population that might be eligible, but there's just not the funding. Mm -hmm. What happens to them? Unfortunately, they're either rent burdened or severely rent burdened. Um, rent burden is when they pay more than 30% of their income on rent. Severely rent burden is where they'll pay over 50% of their income towards towards rent. And some wait. Some find other places to live, um, maybe move in with family. Some people become homeless. Um, the There are other alternatives. They're not the the desire the desired goal but there are other uh, alt alternatives um for for those individuals there's also other housing programs so cmha isn't the only affordable housing developer so there's homeport there's um there's uh, cpo there's homes on the hill there's all these different organizations that provide affordable that provide affordable housing but um Columbus is a growing city, but and it's growing and it's meeting the needs of a lot of people, um, but it's hard to meet the need for affordable housing for those that have lower incomes. So I would imagine then that those people who are rent burdened, that has a domino effect on other issues in our society. You mentioned homelessness, for example, yeah. and also I'm going to guess hunger when we hear about the working poor, which is a, a terrible term when you're working but you can't afford to feed your family mm -hmm. I would guess that comes into play it definitely does so I in my role I look at the housing that we provide everything else goes under that so academics your education your health your employment um, everything goes under your roof and so um, it's harder when you don't have the roof to be able to, the housing to be able to have all of those needs, um, have, have a place where all of those needs are met. And so it is um, a social determinant of health. So your overall health is defined by, um, by housing. It's a very vital social determinant of health. So then what happens when someone comes to you? What, what can they expect in terms of the process? So there's two come to me. So I think one in general you meant was like coming to CMHA. Correct. So when they come to CMHA, they're either, um, most people apply for the voucher program. And so they will apply online and they would submit their application um, once their application is received in the system, CMHA um, does, they're added to the application pool. Most people think we have a wait list. We do not have a wait list. We have a pool. 
your application is scored based off of various criteria. Are you homeless? Are you veteran? Those kind of things are included and your application gets points. And so then when vouchers are available, CMHA will do a lottery based off of the number of points of individuals in the system because those points help to determine who has the most need and so you serve those that have the most need by by pulling that so once they're um, pulled in the lottery then they're brought in to CMHA to complete the paperwork to be given the voucher and then now they can take the voucher and go and find a unit Okay, so what what types of information would be requested on the application? You mentioned things like, are you a veteran, for example? Mm-hmm. Are you currently homeless? What other types of information should someone have available if they decide to apply online? Um, really, at that point, it's just basic information. And so it's your 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 name, your address, your um, some some intro inf- income information, your family size. Um, but it's basic information. It's nothing that you would necessarily need to gather to be able to to apply. Um, once your name is pulled from the lottery, that's when they'll ask you to come in and provide more information, and um, they'll verify that. So, um, and then continue on the application process. Okay. So, can you tell us that website again? www.cmhanet.com. Okay. So, so what if your name isn't pulled in the lottery? Do you just keep trying? You keep trying. You so if you're not pulled in the lottery, you have to look at other housing options. Okay. And so those were the different um, things that that I suggested. And so, um, but we've had we've been having a lot of discussions around what happens to those individuals that are on the um, on on the lot in the lottery pool. And so how we're going to address them, even though authority is in our name, we're not the authority, the only ones that's responsible in doing this. It's a collaborative effort. And so it takes the work of the many housing organizations across um, Franklin County and state of Ohio, and that even at a federal level, to find the appropriate solutions to address this to address this need, it's um, it's not a one size fits all type of um, solution, and it's a range. And so, um, somebody could, like I said, have zero income because of a disability, or they're in the process of applying for um, disability um, income, and just be in that stage it could be somebody that just has a position that doesn't make a lot of money um the reason why someone would need affordable housing varies and the type of housing that those individuals would need varies it's just not enough funding to cover to cover it all some of it might even go um into sort of like what you were ladies was talking about earlier in regards to some of the structures and the systems that have been created some of this is by design sometimes you you have it's unfortunate but you have to be you have to appreciate some of this is created it's a system that was created and it's doing exactly what the system was created to do what about immigrants? How do they get into the system? 
the same as everyone else. So that there's citizenship in the United States is not necessarily a requirement to get housing. Unless, I mean, like you have a green card, that's okay. But what if you're here just temporarily or what about all the immigrants? So um, you have to show some type of, um, so I'm, I'm moving outside, a little bit outside of my uh, specialty in this mm-hmm. part, um, is you're, you have to show some type of um, permanent residency or acquiring okay. permanent residency. And so, but... Um, we're an open country, an open city. We, well, depending on who's 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 in the office, we are open as far as allowing those to come, um, the refugee and immigrant pop- population to get here. And so whether they are our guests or it is, um, or it's a, it's a resident of the, um, it's a citizen of the country, it, mm-hmm. they're still here and everyone here should have housing. It doesn't, I don't think it matters whether they've come from another country or anything. Everyone, once you're here, you are, you need housing and should receive housing as a basic need, just like anybody else. There was um, recently an article in the paper that said that certain zip codes are overvalued and those zip codes that um, were overvalued were in the, the inner city. And it was because the owners of the properties that were renting to poor people get tax benefits and, and can um, get the ability to increase income if the property's worth more on paper. And so when it trickles down, it means poor people living in black neighborhoods and small and and immigrant neighborhoods end up having to pay higher than market rent for these properties, which I just kind of call it zip code racism. Um, There are developers that want to take advantage. I can tell you, look at look at right downtown, around the short north and, and, and the near east side, all those big houses that are rentals right now. People are living there barely getting by, barely getting by. I've seen poor people living in mobile homes. Have you seen these little one mm-hmm. bedroom? They look like little, I don't know, rolling garages here in Columbus. Um, and I want, and then you see all these children coming out of these facilities. Down, right down here on Livingston, there's a property that's falling apart. And who's living there? Poor people and black people. And I think it's a shame. I really mm-hmm. do. You have a resident council? I think you do, don't we you? We have a few. So yeah, our resident council, I love our resident council. So we cannot make the decisions on um what resources should be available to our residents, um, they should tell us. And our resident councils lead that. And so they are groups of leaders in each one of our, in, in our housing communities. And um, they inform um, us on what are some of the needs of the community. Um, they, they're the voice of the in-between for CMHA and and the and the community they are 
they're the heart of what of what of what we do and so we are we really lean on them to tell us what's happening and what we need to do and i think over the last few um definitely over the last couple of years we've been utilizing them in the right way and it's getting better and better by having them serve as the leadership and um and giving us the insight on what on what we should be looking for okay um you meet with them and they give you ideas and then how are those ideas implemented on site or or there or do they do it or do you come in to do it for them it depends it's definitely collaborative um so once they understand what once they become part of resident council they are not our resident counselor not shy so they will tell us what needs to be done how how it needs to be done they will tell us who needs to do it so if we need to have partners who should we go out and find um as as partners so they we work together all along the way and it depends on the need on on what we're doing and how we'll work together they have their own funds that are available to them where they can say you know what we want to have men's coffee club so we'll use our funds for that but if they want to do something bigger like a national night out we'll work in partnership and cover that for them um one final question before we go to break Mm -hmm. how did you manage after the pandemic i mean what how what kind of effect did that have on Ooh, residents? that was nothing but the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> that was nothing. I don't know how it was because now when we look back for the last year and a half, I don't know how it 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 it, it has to been the Divine. the Lord. It ha- yes because the need was so huge there was a need anyway before the pandemic and then afterwards but our residents are resilient they knew exactly what to do and they this was they already had this type of um experience in their life they're tough good to hear that good to hear that we've got to take a quick break Sonia and we will be back and talk about some national overview kinds of matters on the window talking with Sonia Nelson, Assistant Vice President of Resident Initiatives for Columbus Metropolitan Housing Authority. She's been talking to us about how is the management lead for the Resident Initiatives Department. Her team provides a connection to resources that support and enable residents to have the basic dignity of being safe and stable and economically mobile. I'd like to ask you, before we go back to the actual experiences of the folks that you serve, you talked about funding coming from the national level, and we opened the window today by, by talking about at least one of numerous huge issues that are going on at the national level. We talked about voting rights, but is the issue of housing still somewhere near the top of the agenda at the federal level, or is everything else now with the COVID and, and the election and all that drowned it out? What is the federal government's posture on the issues that, that you deal with every day? I think 
more so than ever, I'm so optimistic about where we're heading as far as meeting the needs of affordable housing. Um, Secretary Fudge is remarkable, and she is coming in blazing. Can you remind us of who Secretary Fudge is? Oh, gosh, I don't know Secretary where. Secretary Marsha Fudge, who's a Ohio native. Mm-hmm. Cleveland. Yes. Um, she's an attorney. And she's head of HUD. Head of HUD, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm right. sorry. Yeah. Yes. So, um, you know, when I say secretary, that's like our main one, and you know, as <laughs> right. far as right. in the housing authority. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> she's top in my mind anyway of, sec- of all the federal secretaries. Right. But yes, she's the secretary of HUD, Housing and Urban Development. So it starts with her. And her, if you ever heard her speak, her passion and her dedication is her throughout everything that she says around housing. But she comes with real ideas and plans. And um, I I started watching her even through the um, her confirmation hearings and hearing how she was able to... Um, validate some of her opinions in the past and not try to escape them and which showed that she's willing to hold ground on what needs to be done. I am very optimistic about what's going to come out of her administration and then with the innovative approach to housing that CMHA's leadership has, I'm I'm ecstatic about some of the things that are going to happen in the area of um, of affordable housing. Good. So, so Secretary Fudge was an appointee of President Joe Biden's his cabinet mm-hmm. to replace Dr. Ben Carson. Mm-hmm. Okay, enough said. <laughs> All right. So let's go back then to the experiences of someone who um, has has made it through the process and they get the voucher and they. Um, get an affordable housing unit and of course the next step is to 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 make that their home can you talk to us a a bit about what we don't want to see happen and that is eviction so during the pandemic there was not just in terms of your clients but some type of moratorium on evictions just talk to us about that in general please so the cdc gave an eviction moratorium and the and it has been extended and the final extension goes until the end of this month and the cdc is the Center for Disease and Control and Prevention, correct? Yes. And so um, so they had, uh, so the, the last moratorium was supposed to end um, last month. What's interesting is, so CMHA is part of the Housing Stabilization Coalition, and of that, we've been really looking at eviction, um, eviction rates eviction filing specifically. And so there was only, so maybe like close to 200 eviction filings. The um, the second to last week of, um, of June. And then the last week of June, there was over 500 eviction filings because people assumed the moratorium was going to end. And so that gives you an indication of what landlords are getting ready to do if um, help isn't there. And so in the needs of our residents, of our the residents of the community, um, if, if help isn't there. But Bo um, from Impact 
Community Action has received millions of dollars of um, emergency rental assistance um, from from a federal, city, um, and state level, and um, they are doing great at um, re like streamlining their processes so that um, landlords can get that money and residents can get that money and that rental assistance to stay and stay within their homes to prevent um, to prevent evictions and that's Bo Chilton at yes. community impact Yes, and so um, him and um, multiple partners that process and help process those applications are are helping to um, address rental of, um, to address the evictions. But people have to recognize that help is there, but they have to pursue it. There is we do not you do not want to wait until the last minute you don't even you don't even need to wait until an eviction is filed before you go and ask for help once you're just simply late on rent or you know that you're coming up and being late on rent start the discussion now my understanding is that even if it gets to eviction court that there are legal aid attorneys there at eviction court at the courtroom to see if there's any last minute assistance that they can can provide to try to resolve a situation it is and so their um impact is there um community mediation services are there um um, legal aid is there and so there are multiple organizations uh that are there but the eviction had already been filed and so if for some reason you have to move or um, either because an eviction was granted or you decide to move and find a place later that eviction filing is now on your record and could harm you in looking for another place and so it's very important for individuals to go and seek help before the eviction is filed have the conversation with your landlord this will not go away and so it's it's very important for people to be um, to be very assertive and aggressive in maintaining and maintaining their housing. So with, with everything that's going on and all the, the great efforts of, of you personally and thank you and your agency and, and other agencies like yours, the whole issue of homelessness, which of course is the extreme situation in which mm-hmm. someone just can't find housing. Do you see that as getting better or worse about the same so because of the pandemic it's definitely because of the pandemic it's getting it's getting worse um i want to commend michelle heritage and the community shelter board for all that they do around addressing homelessness and there's tons of other agencies that work to um to address homelessness but it's just the reason for homelessness the root is just as diverse as the individuals that um that are experiencing homelessness it's again same thing with affordable housing it's not a one-size-fits-all type of type of model and so um why homelessness exists is because of many many different reasons and so and each one of those reasons need their own approach and so um COVID is just an example of one of those reasons on why someone may be you know the impacts of COVID um maybe losing a having COVID and not being able to go to work or losing their job or just a change in income most people as we heard a lot most people are one 
paycheck away from from being homeless and so um it's it's a it's it's a huge situation um again the root of it is important as well so not only the cause like this is how you became this is why you're homeless right now but how did you get homeless in the first place what happened and so um that history and that journey of for that individual is 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 important and there are we could go back and there's also some systematic reasons on why those exist as well and so um but i think the only way that we're going to be able to approach this in any other of our social needs is by breaking it down to the root i have a question i've been holding it inside because i really don't want to know the answer okay are most of the people needing housing people of color well, uh, Dr. Iris, I think you knew the answer. You knew the answer not because of any limitations that they that people of color have in general, but systematically, this is what has been mm-hmm. set up. And so, um, so yeah, that is an outcome of the system. But no one should be surprised at that outcome because that's why it was set up in the first place. I knew that. You're right. I knew that from walking in there. Yeah. And seeing we are the world. We are people of color. We are poor people. We are the foundation of America. Yet and still, we need CMHA to help us get on our feet. And I so respect that mission that you all. And you have to face that every single day. I I don't know how you do it. And, and yet I don't want our listeners to leave here today, and I don't want the public at large to leave here today thinking that this is just a black thing. It isn't. It's a societal thing. We see people of every color. You talked about, Sonia, related issues that are being dealt with, the whole issue of a livable wage um, and, and what the minimum wage is and is not. and. Um, what people should expect for a hard day's work in terms of being able to afford the basic necessities. So I would add my thank you to all the work you do because this impacts all of us. And we always try to leave our audience as we begin to wrap up today, we always try to leave our audience not only with hopefully being more educated, but with some thoughts as to whether there's anything that they can do to make a, a big dent or to just do something very small. Does anything come to mind? You mentioned earlier, stay woke. I'm gonna extend that and say, get active. And so it's one thing to be woke and know what's happening. It's another thing to be a part of the solution and getting involved. And at the very minimum, you should vote. It always comes back to that in a, in a democracy, doesn't it? If you could one last time, give us the website of if any of our listeners either are in need of your services or know someone who should investigate it, please tell us where they can go. And obviously this assumes that folks we're talking about all have internet access many do some do not so that's one small way that you can help as well to help someone get this information and to get it in front of them what is the website again the website is www.cmhanet.com and you can call 614-421-6000 Thank you. And I would echo, Dr. I, what Sonia said today about not just hearing and listening, 
but not turning a deaf ear and really acting. And again, in a democracy, that the least that we can do is to make our voices heard. And the best way we can do that is through voting, but even outside of an election to come full circle to where we started this program today. You know, when something major happens and it's right in our face, we're all in the middle of protest marches and, and, and that's a good thing and petitions and that kind of thing. But every single day, every single day, there's some way that anyone who is concerned about the issues that we discuss here in the window and especially those that affect our, our, our basic rights, which too often disproportionately affect those with the least power, and that tends to be people of color, that tends to be disenfranchised groups, that there's always some way that you, beyond just staying informed, beyond you reading the newspaper, I know sometimes we say, gee, we don't like the news, the news is depressing, we don't. You don't have to listen 24-7 to the news, but willful ignorance, willful ignorance is, is the downfall of and folks who are, are having their rights taken away. And share it with your children and your grandchildren. Respect our history. Don't ignore it. Respect it and act on it. I think we've covered some very important information with uh, Sonia um, Nelson from Columbus Metropolitan Housing Authority. Uh, thanks to your president, uh, Mr. Hillman for letting you come out and Miss Betty over there and all the rest of the executive team um, I feel good about the leadership over there for the people of Columbus and um, with that I think we have to say goodbye and we'll see you next week what we got next week? Next week we're going to talk about COVID it ain't over till it's over and it ain't over so talk about staying woke, stay woke, stay healthy and we will come back next week with once again experts who can talk to us about where we stand with COVID the vaccine the mask mandates that are going back into effect in some areas where the, where the death rate the death rate, the illness rate and the death rate going back up again so thank you for joining us as always dr i thank you folks and we will be back next week on the window